Our second lesson is from the first chapter of Mark's Gospel, verses 1 through 5. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you all pray with me? Gracious God, I ask that you would hear us each as we pray that your Holy Spirit would come. Your Holy Spirit would come and make this sermon into what you want it to be. That everything that is human would fall away and we would be left not with a human word, but with your word spoken with love into our lives. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. It matters how you start a story. Think of it. How many pages will you give a book before you put it down because you're just not even interested? I used to go on a lot longer. I'd give it a whole chapter. I'm about 10 pages in now. If it hasn't caught my interest, I just put it down. I don't have enough time for that. i got to move on. But we have to have something at the beginning of a story that hooks us in, that makes us interested. A couple of examples are from John Irving and his story, A Prayer for Owen Meany. In the first pages of his book, we meet a character named Owen Meany who has this really strange little body. And he's described so curiously that you keep reading because you want to know what's going to happen to this character. Another example is John Green's The Fault in Our Stars. From the first page, the main character, Hazel, carries an oxygen tank with her. We don't know from the beginning why she's sick, but it's enough to pique our interest and to keep us reading. The great memoirist Mary Carr says, you have to have a hook. You have to show your reader that something is at stake and they should keep reading to find out what it is. In Mark's gospel, he catches everyone's attention with John the Baptist. The first century listeners of Mark's gospel were people who were steeped in the Old Testament. They believed in prophets. So from the very beginning, when this weird guy shows up in the wilderness and he's out there saying the words of the prophet Isaiah, every bell and whistle should have been going off for people that this may be a prophet from God again. He's out in the wilderness just like the prophet Elijah was. Later, we'll learn, like we did in the children's time, that he ate locust and wild honey and he dressed really strange. All of those things scream, I'm a prophet of God. And so the people in the first century, they start paying attention because you know what's at stake? What's at stake is that there might be a word from God and they're hoping for a word from God. But then John the Baptist does them one better when he goes on and tells them that. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah. 
the Messiah that they've all heard about, the Messiah that they've all longed for. They have a very definite idea of what this means. They believe that the Messiah will come and will finally free them from Roman oppression. They have been beat down by the Romans. They are on the bottom of society. And in their mind, this is a prophet already. And he tells them the Messiah is coming. Surely the Messiah is going to come and overthrow Rome. And so they start coming from Jerusalem, from Judea. They come everywhere out into the wilderness to hear what this prophet has to say. But it's not what they expect. What he tells them is that they have to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. Because what they don't realize, I think, and what we often forget this time of year, is that what John the Baptist is really saying is that our holy God is coming to us. Holy, without sin, completely other, set apart, perfect in power and might and majesty, God is coming to us. And so they think they have to make preparations to get ready for this warrior king who's going to give them the good old glory story, going to help them win against the Romans. But we know that what John the Baptist is saying is that there will be a child born who will be holy. And you and I, on Christmas Day, we stand in the presence of holiness and we better get ready. We better prepare the way. Every Christmas Eve, there's that thin place when we're all together singing on Christmas Eve when we realize that something majestic and amazing is happening. It's the holiness of God come near. And so John says, you better get ready. And for John the Baptist, the main way you get ready to encounter holiness is you turn from your own sin. You turn from your own clouded heart and try to come to the presence of holiness in the best condition you can. Now, don't be mistaken. In your baptism, you are offered the forgiveness of sins. But we all continually sin, do we not? Sin simply means to not live in the way that God has called us to, to not live out God's will. I certainly don't all of the time. I mess it up over and over. If you want to know what one of your sins might be, imagine the person in your extended family you least want to sit at your table. You know, the old crabby grandfather or great uncle who's going to say things that like make your hair stand on end? That's usually a person for whom we need to start praying because our sin is often one of not forgiving. John says you need to prepare the way because holiness is coming near. We're all preparing this time of year, aren't we? I'm a list maker, but this is the time of year when the list is two and three sheets long. This lovely choir has put hours and hours into preparing for this morning, and we are all reaping the benefits of that. Your church staff has prepared for this Advent season. We've all prepared in our own lives like you have, getting the house ready, getting the gifts ready, trying to remember everyone that you need to recognize during this time. There are lots of preparations to be made at Christmas. But I think John the Baptist would say to us today that it is our spiritual preparations 
that needs to be foremost on our list. It is taking time for quiet and prayer and asking God to show us where our sin is so that we can turn from it as much as we can. You know, one of the greatest parts of my job is that I get to visit new babies when they're born. It's the best. I get to walk into that room, usually hours after the baby's been born, and I get to see some really tired but radiant parents, and I get to see this little bundle that's just come into the world. And I don't know about you, but new babies, it feels like the veil between ordinary life and the miraculous is so thin when you first see them and hold them. It feels holy to hold a new life. And every time that I go to visit a new family like that, I'm preparing I'm preparing in my car on the way over because I know I'll be asked to pray for this child and this family. And I think about what I know about the family and what I might want to ask God for on their behalf. What's the blessing I want to say over this new child? And then the same thing happens every time. I come to the room and the first thing you have to do is wash your hands. You got to make yourself clean to hold that holy new life. You don't want to share your germs with the baby. You want to come, and you want to be at your best, and you want to offer the best blessing you can to this new family. On Christmas morning, you and I, in our own way, we're going to gather around the manger, and I'm going to invite you to have done the work beforehand so that when you come, Your heart is clean for the holy presence of God in the manger. Here's what's at stake. Holiness, redemption, forgiveness, grace, and love. It is good news for all the people. May we prepare our hearts. Amen.